Section 11 of Eugene Onegin by Alexander Pushkin. Translated by Henry Spaulding. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Marianne. Canto the Sixth. The Duel. 1. Having remarked Vladimir's flight, Onegin, bored to death again, by Olga stood, dejected quite and satisfied with vengeance tain. Olga began to long likewise for Lenski, sought him with her eyes, and endless the cotillion seemed, as if some troubled dream she dreamed. Tis done. To supper they proceed. Bedding is laid out, and to all assigned a lodging, from the hall up to the attic, and all need tranquil repose. Eugene alone, to pass the night at home, hath gone. 2. All slumber. In the drawing-room, loud snores the cumbrous Prustyakov, with better half as cumbersome. Gvazdine, Boyanov, Patushkov, and Flyanov, somewhat indisposed, on chairs in the saloon reposed, whilst on the floor Monsieur Troquette, in jersey and in nightcap lay. In Olga's and Tatiana's rooms lay all the girls by sleep embraced, except one by the window placed, whom pale Diana's ray illumes, my poor Tatiana cannot sleep, but stares into the darkness deep. 3. His visit she had not awaited, his momentary loving glance her inmost soul had penetrated, and his strange conduct at the dance with Olga. Nor of this appeared an explanation. She was scared, alarmed by jealous agonies. A hand of ice appeared to seize her heart, it seemed a darksome pit beneath her roaring open wide. I shall expire, Tatiana cried, but death from him will be delight. I murmur not. Why mournfulness? He cannot give me happiness. 4. Haste, haste thy lagging pace, my story. A new acquaintance we must scan. There dwells five verse from Krasnogory, Vladimir's property, a man who thrives this moment as I write, a philosophic anchorite, Zarestki, once a bully bold, a gambling troop when he controlled, chief rascal, pothouse president, now of a family the head, simple and kindly and unwed, true friend, landlord benevolent, yea, and a man of honor, lo, how perfect doth our epoch grow. 5. Time was the flattering voice of fame, his ruffian bravery adored, and true, his pistol's faultless aim and ace at fifteen paces bored. But I must add to what I write, that, tipsy once in actual fight, he from his Kalmuck horse did leap in mud and mire to wallow deep, drunk as a fly. And thus the French a valuable hostage gained, a modern Regulus unchained, who to surrender did not blench, that every morn at various cost three flasks of wine he might exhaust. 6. Time was, his raillery was gay, he loved the simpleton to mock, to make wise men the idiot play openly or neath a decent cloak. Yet sometimes this or that deceit encountered punishment complete, and sometimes into snares as well himself like a greenhorn fell, he could in disputation shine with pungent or obtuse retort, at times to silence would resort, at times talk nonsense with design, 
Quarrels among young friends he bred, And to the field of honour led. 7. Or reconciled them, it may be, And all the three to breakfast went, Then he'd malign them secretly With jest and gossip gaily blent, Said Alia Tempora. And bravery, like love, another sort of knavery, Diminishes as years decline. But, as I said, Zaretsky mine beneath acacias, cherry trees, From storms protections having sought, Lived as a really wise man ought. Like Horace, planted cabbages, Both ducks and geese in plenty bred, And lessons to his children read. 8. He was no fool, and Eugene mine, To friendship making no pretense, Admired his judgment, which was fine, Pervaded with much common sense. He usually was glad to see the man And liked his company. So, when he came next day to call, Was not surprised thereby at all. But, after mutual compliments, Zaretsky with a knowing grin, Ere conversation could begin, The epistle from the bard presents. Onegin to the window went, And scanned in silence its content. 9. It was a cheery, generous cartel, or a challenge to a fight, whereto in language courteous Lenski his comrade did invite. Onegin, by first impulse moved, turned and replied as it behooved, curtly announcing for the fray that he was ready any day. Zaretsky rose, nor would explain, he cared no longer there to stay, had much to do at home that day, and so departed. But Eugene, the matter by his conscience tried, was with himself dissatisfied. 10. In fact, the subject analyzed, within the secret court discussed, in much his conduct stigmatized. For, from the outset, t'was unjust to jest as he had done last eve, a timid, shrinking love to grieve. And ought he not to disregard the poet's madness? For tis hard at eighteen not to play the fool. Sincerely loving him, Eugene assuredly should not have been conventionality's dull tool, not a mere hot, pugnacious boy, but a man of sense and probity. 11. He might his motives have narrated, nor bristled up like a wild beast. He ought to have conciliated that youthful heart. But now at least the opportunity has flown. Besides, a duelist well-known hath mixed himself in the affair, malicious and a slanderer. Undoubtedly, disdain alone should recompense his idle jeers. But fools, their calumnies and sneers. Behold, the world's opinion, our idol, honor's motive force, round which revolves the universe. 12. Impatient, Boiling o'er with wrath, the bard his answer waits at home. But lo, his braggart neighbor hath triumphant with the answer come. Now for the jealous youth what joy! He feared the criminal might try to treat the matter as a jest. Use subterfuge, and thus his breast from the dread pistol turn away. But now all doubt was set aside. Unto the windmill he must ride to-morrow before break of day, to cock the pistol, Barrel bend on thigh or temple, friend on friend. 13. Resolved the flirt to cast away, 
the foaming Lenski would refuse to see Olga ere the fray. His watch, the sun in turn he views, finally tossed his arms in air, and lo, he is already there. He deemed his coming would inspire Olga with trepidation dire. He was deceived. Just as before, the miserable bard to meet, as hope uncertain and as sweet, Olga ran skipping from the door. She was as heedless and as gay. Well, just as she was yesterday. 14. Why did you leave last night so soon? was the first question Olga made. Lenski, into confusion thrown, all silently hung down his head. Jealousy and vexation took to flight before her radiant look, before such fond simplicity and mental elasticity. He eyed her with a fond concern, perceived that he was still beloved, already by repentance moved to ask forgiveness seemed to yearn, but trembles, words he could not find, delighted, almost sane in mind. 15. But once more pensive and distressed beside his Olga doth he grieve, nor enough strength of mind possessed to mention the foregoing eve. He mused, I will her saviour be, with ardent sighs and flattery the vile seducer shall not dare the freshness of her heart impair, nor shall the caterpillar come the lily's stem to eat away, nor shall the bud of yesterday perish when half disclosed its bloom. All this, my friends, translate aright. I with my friend intend to fight. 16. If he had only known the wound which rankled in Tatiana's breast, and if Tatiana mine had found, if the poor maiden could have guessed that the two friends with morning's light above the yawning grave would fight, ah, it may be, affection true had reconciled the pair anew. But of this love, in casually, as yet none had discovered aught. Eugene, of course, related not. Tatiana suffered secretly. Her nurse, who could have made a guess, was famous for thick-headedness. 17. Lenski that even thought immersed, now gloomy seemed, and cheerful now. But he who by the muse was nursed is ever thus, with frowning brow to the pianoforte he moves and various chords upon it proves then eyeing olga whispers low i am happy say is it not so but it grew late he must not stay heavy his heart with anguish grew to the young girl he said adieu as it were tore himself away gazing into his face she said what ails thee nothing. He is fled. 18. At home arriving, he addressed his care unto his pistol's plight, replaced them in their box, undressed and Schiller read by candlelight. But one thought only filled his mind. His mournful heart no peace could find. Olga he sees before his eyes miraculously fair arise. Vladimir closes up his book and grasps a pen his verse, albeit with lovers rubbish filled, was neat and flowed harmoniously. He took and spouted it with lyric fine, like D when dinner doth inspire. 19. Destiny hath preserved his lay. I have it. Lo, the very thing. Oh, 
Whither have ye winged your way, ye golden days of my young spring? What will the coming dawn reveal? In vain my anxious eyes appeal, in mist profound all yet is hid. So be it. Just the laws which bid the fatal bullet penetrate, or innocently past me fly. Good governs all. The hour draws nigh of life or death predestinate. Blessed be the labors of the light, and blessed the shadows of the night. 20. Tomorrow's dawn will glimmer gray, bright day will then begin to burn, but the dark sepulchre I may have entered never to return. The memory of the bard, a dream, will be absorbed by Lethe's stream. Men will forget me, but my urn to visit, lovely maid, return, or my remains to drop a tear, and think, here lies who loved me well, for consecrate to me he fell in the dawn of existence drear. Maid whom my heart desires alone, approach, approach, I am thine own. 21. Thus in a style obscure and stale, he wrote, "'Tis the romantic style, though of romance therein I fail to see aught, never mind meanwhile. And about dawn upon his breast his weary head declined at rest. For o'er a word to fashion known, ideal, he had drowsy grown. But scarce had sleep's soft witchery subdued him, when his neighbor stepped into the chamber where he slept, and wakened him with a loud cry, "'Tis time to get up. Seven doth strike. Onegin waits on us, tis like.'" End of section 11